0: Good morning. morning. I saw some of you guys in there. That's very exciting. Uh, That last song that we sang, 10,000 Reasons, uh, was originally written and performed by a guy named Matt Redman. And my son goes to college with Matt Redman's daughter, and his freshman year in college, he went out on a double date where the other guy went out with Matt Redman's daughter. And he calls us to talk about this. And I'm like, this is so exciting. I'm picturing myself becoming best friends with Matt Redman, (laughs) free concert tickets. They're probably going to fly us over to England where they live. This is going to be great. And I'm kind of like geeking out about all of this. And my son is like, dad, what are you so excited about this? There's no reason to be excited here. And I said, I can think of 10,000 reasons to be excited here. He's like, you're such a dork. (laughs) Which is true. Absolutely true. Oh, by the way, my name is Matt and I'm the campus pastor here in Prior Lake. It's great to have all of you here. We also have a campus in Shakopee. And I bring that up because there's something exciting going going on over in Shakopee. Uh, We are having child dedication, parent-child dedication over in Shakopee. Parent-child dedication is when we say thank you to God for kiddos, and we dedicate homes and this church to raising those kiddos in Jesus. And I want to show you some of the kids who are being dedicated over in Shakopee today. We have Sam and Amy Dahl's little Talia that's being dedicated over there. Eric and Kristen Mattson actually have three kids that are being dedicated today, including Edwin, Haley, and Amelia. And Reed and Alyssa Ellickson have Colt that is being dedicated today. And so we're excited about what God is doing in the lives of those families and in the life of our church family. And As a result of the fact that we are having child dedications today in Shakopee, there are cookies here for everyone after the service. And so, uh, yeah, enjoy the cookies. We'll have time to uh, celebrate and munch when the service is over. I also want to remind you that today is a 101 class after the service. If you're at all interested in knowing more about what Friendship Church is, In meeting staff, in connecting, you can come and be a part of that 101 class. We'll feed you lunch and talk to you about the church. Uh, So by all means, right after the service, you can join us in the chapel back there. We'd love to have you join us for 101. We are in the middle of a sermon series called, When God Says Jump. It's a sermon series about a man named Abraham, and every time Abraham's name is mentioned in the New Testament, it is connected with a particular word, and that word is faith. Every time that Abraham is talked about in the New Testament, it's ta- he's talked about in conjunction with this idea of faith, and so the sermon series is called, When God Says Jump, When God Calls Us to Act in Faith. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 16, and as we did, what did we see? A mess, right? A giant ball of family dysfunction. As Abraham and Sarah decided that they wanted the gift of a child more than they wanted to honor the giver of that gift, God and his plan. They took things into their own hands and said, we're going to solve this. And so, Abram and Sarah decided to have Abram Sleep with Sarai's servant, Hagar, to produce a child. Once Hagar was pregnant, everything became messy in that house. All of a sudden, Abraham's household turned into an episode of that old Jerry Springer show. Right? As we're reading through there, we can almost hear people chanting, Jerry, Jerry, because what is going on? You have Hagar who begins to mistreat Sarai because she's pregnant and Sarai can't get pregnant. Sarai begins to blame Abram and is like, what have you done? This is all your fault. Abram is unbelievably passive and is like, well, I'm sure you can work all this out, Sarai. And Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar so badly that Hagar fears for her life and the life of her child and escapes out into the wilderness where she meets a messenger of the Lord who says, go back. Go back to that home. Now, for us, Genesis chapter 16 was a week ago. But what I want us to see today as we move into Genesis chapter 17 is while there's only a week between these two chapters for us, there's a significant time difference, right? Time has elapsed here. Look at the end of chapter 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Look at now the first verse of our chapter today. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Right? Do you see it? He, he's 99 now. 99 minus 86. Carry the 37. You wind up with something like 13. Is that what you came up with as well? 13 years have gone by. 13 years of Abram believing that Ishmael was going to live as the child of the promise. 13 years of Abram investing in Ishmael. So that he will live as the child of the promise. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, God shows up and speaks to Abram and says, that's not the plan. I have a very different plan than that. And at the beginning of God talking to Abram, he's going to reaffirm the covenant that he has introduced in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15. He's going to review that covenant in verses 2 through 8, and we're going to see five major promises that are a part of this covenant. I'm going to read the verses and I want to encourage you guys as I'm reading them, look for these five promises, right? Listen for these five promises as I read these verses. He comes to Abram and he says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Verse two, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I am so thankful that we have reached this place in the Abraham narrative. Because finally his name is Abraham. Do you know how many times I was supposed to read Abram and have read Abraham instead? Because that's what we call him? Finally we can call him Abraham. No one is more excited about this point in the narrative than I am. I will stop screwing up his name. Maybe. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Did you catch those five promises as we went through that God makes to Abraham as he reviews the covenant here in verses 2 through 8? But God also adds to anything that he said before and he says, I'm going to give you a remembrance of the covenant, a reminder of the covenant and what is that remembrance? A new name. No longer are you going to be Abram, which means father or high father. Instead, you're going to be Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Your name is going to be a constant reminder, a constant remembrance of the covenant that I've entered into you with Abram. Right? I, I'm going to give you this remembrance, this reminder of our covenant. But he doesn't just give him a remembrance. He also gives him a sign of the covenant. A sign of the covenant that Abraham is supposed to take upon himself that that declares that he's entered into the covenant. Here it is. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep Every male among you shall be circumcised. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you know what that means and not go any further with that. And if you don't know what it means, I'm going to assume that your parents will talk to you about it later. But I'm moving on. I'm just going to open that door and let the families take care of it later. That's great. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be, a, it'll be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It's the sign. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Everyone. Everyone. Who is going to live under the covenant, Abraham, that I am making with you and your offspring is to bear this sign. They are to bear this mark. doesn't matter if they were born naturally in the household or if they have come to work for you as servants. doesn't matter. If they're going to live under the covenant, they need to bear the sign. He says it again. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. What is the sign? The word here can mean a marker. It's something that is true and present if you have entered into the covenant. Uh, We have this with marriage, right? I have a sign or marker of the covenant of marriage that I've entered into? How how does this sign of the covenant that I've entered into work? Did I enter into marriage because I put the ring on? Is that how it works? Married, not married, married, not married. No, that's not how it works, right? (laughs) You don't enter into the covenant of marriage because you happen to put a ring on, you put the ring on because you're in the covenant of marriage and it is a sign or marker that you are within that covenant. Now, this is a more permanent sign that God is calling for, isn't it? Because there, there's uh, a lot of people who can just take this off. right? I, I, I can take it off right now. Uh, God is calling for a more permanent sign or marker. It's a little more like those people who uh, have the ring tattooed on their finger. Anybody know anyone who's done that? Anyone done that, right? Where you Where you have the... The ring actually tattooed on your finger. That's a more permanent mark or sign. And that's what God is calling for here with Abraham. Abraham has a remembrance of the covenant promises, his new name. He has a sign or marker of the covenant that he's to enter into, circumcision. But he's not the only one who gets a new name in this passage. He's not the only one who gets a remembrance of the covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. What? I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarai means argumentative or contentious. Right, we saw a little bit of that last chapter. Sarah means princess. Right? You're a mom to be, you're gonna have a little girl, which you're going with here. Argumentative or contentious or, or, or princess? Uh, this is a wonderful name change for Sarah. And princess fits because she is going to give birth to a line that is going to produce kings. What kind of kings are going to come out of Abraham and Sarah's line? Well, how about King David and the entire Davidic line? How about according to Matthew chapter 1 the son of David and king of kings, Jesus, comes from this line? It's a good line of kings for Princess Sarah. Now, Abraham is 99, Sarah is 89. And the thought of them popping a child out at this point is so beyond ludicrous to Abraham that he is going to call upon God to be reasonable in this situation. I'm sure there is another idea that we can think of here, God, because, come on now. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael may live under your blessing. For the last 13 years, Abraham has assumed that Ishmael will live as the child of the covenant and the child of blessing within this home. And he says to God, God, are you kidding me? A hundred? Ninety? That can't possibly happen. And so I've got an idea. How about if we just move forward with the plan that Sarah and I came up without you? Right? Can we just do that, God? The plan that we concocted without any help from you, let's just move forward with that plan, God. What, what do you think? You think God's going to do that? After all, Abraham says, it's so absurd. To think about us at 190 having a kid. 13 years ago, we enacted a different plan because she could no longer bear children. And now you're telling us we're gonna have a child. This is so absurd that it's comical. It makes us laugh. Then God said, yes. Well, wait, what? Then God said, yes. What did Abraham ask? Let Ishmael be the one who lives under your blessing. And so for anyone who knows this story, aren't you a little shocked at this response? Is Ishmael going to be the one who lives under the blessing? Then God said, yes. In fact, Ishmael is going to be greatly blessed by God. But he won't be the child of the covenant promise. And so God says, yes. But your wife Sarah will bear a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his number. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. This wild donkey of a man, as he was called last week, I'm going to bless him, God says. He, he's going to become a multitude. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he'd finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. God will bless Ishmael, as Abraham requested. But it's Isaac who's going to be the child of promise, who's going to be the child of the covenant. What does Isaac mean? He laughed. Right? He He laughs. And he will be a reminder to Abraham and Sarah and to anyone else who ever reads this story from this point on, that our God is a God who can do the impossible to the point that it seems comical. That there are things in life that seem so absurd, all we can do is laugh at the idea of them happening, and yet our God is fully able to do them. Our God is fully able to do them. What does Abraham do now that he's had this conversation with God? He goes and he obeys. At age 99, with a flint knife, he circumcises every male in his household, and he himself is circumcised. At age 99. How many males in the household? We've seen hundreds. And so they have a giant circumcision party which I have to believe was followed by a giant lay-around-and-do-nothing party that came immediately afterwards. After this conversation, from this conversation between God Almighty and Abraham, there are significant truths that we see here that are important for us 4,000 years after this event. As we look at this conversation, there are significant truths that we need to grasp onto, that you need to grasp onto, that I need to grasp onto, 4,000 years after these events. The first one is this, God's people bear the mark of the covenant. God's people bear the mark of the covenant. I I told you that a ring was a marker or a sign of the covenant of marriage. It's a highly imperfect illustration when we talk about the sign of God's covenant. Because I know all kinds of people who are married, but don't wear one of these. For some, it's allergies. For others, it's discomfort. For some, they're conscientious objectors about wedding rings, whatever. I know all kinds of people who are married, but don't actually wear one of these. But when God talks about the sign or marker for the old covenant, he says everyone is to bear it. Look back at verses 12 and 13. If there is a person who wants to live within the covenant of my blessing, they are to have this sign, he says. Verse 14, if they don't have this sign, then they're not living within the covenant. right? God's people bear the mark of the covenant every time. And, and this is where it becomes important for us, God's new covenant people saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, bear the sign or mark of the covenant every time in their life. Just as the old covenant people, every one of them had the old sign, so God's new covenant people, saved through the gospel, bear every time the covenant sign that God has given to us. What is that sign of the new covenant? If circumcision is the sign of the old covenant, what is the every time marker that can be seen in a person when it comes to the new covenant? Oh, there have been all sorts of things proposed here. Some indicate, there's a few who are like, it's still circumcision. Others say it's speaking in tongues. Others say it's baptism. I think the New Testament gives us a better answer than any of those for what the sign or marker is that is present in every believer's life that tells us, hey, they're a part of the covenant. And I think what the New Testament teaches is the mark of the new covenant is love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the marker that identifies us as a part of the new covenant community? What is that outward marker that helps people to know that we are Jesus followers, that we've entered into the new covenant? It's love, right? It's love. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. What is that outward marker in a person's life that indicates that they've entered into the new covenant, have a relationship with God, and are living in the light? It's love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. What is it that is absent from a person's life, even though they claim that they love God, what is it that's absent from a person's life that says, wait a minute, you don't, you don't have the marker. You, you don't have the sign. It's love. right? Love is the marker, the sign that a person has entered into the new covenant. I love the way Galatians 5.7 puts such a fine point on this. Galatians 5.6, excuse me. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Notice what Paul's saying here. Within the new covenant, the old covenant sign and marker is of no value whatsoever. What is of value? The new covenant sign or marker. And what is that? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul says within the new covenant, the old covenant sign or marker is no longer valid. It doesn't matter. Circumcision, uncircumcision, these things are unimportant within the new covenant. Faith no longer expresses itself through circumcision. Instead, the new covenant sign or marker that a person is a part of the family of God is love. Right? Jesus says, my people, they are a community of love. God is love. Anyone who enters into relationship with him is going to bear that fruit of love. And so we understand, as God's people, that marker, that sign in the old covenant was circumcision. But within the new covenant, the marker or sign that we belong to God, that is growing love within our lives. God's people bear the mark of the covenant. Truth number two that we see within, oh, truth number two that we see within this passage. You guys didn't see that third one, did you? Oh, man. God's way to grow in love and righteousness is to walk with God each day. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. The Hebrew word here translated blameless can mean complete. Or mature. It doesn't necessarily have to mean perfect, although it can mean that as well. When I originally read this, I thought God was giving Abraham two commands here walk before me faithfully, command number one, be blameless, command number two. But then as I dug into the passage a little more, I realized there is only one command in this passage, and then a result of being obedient to that command. Uh, esteemed Old Testament scholar John Salehammer says, Be blameless does not have the sense of command, but of consequence of the initial condition. If you walk before me, you will be blameless. The second part, be blameless, is a result of living out the first. And so if we want to be a people who are righteous, who are mature, which means people of deep and abiding love. What is the key? Walking faithfully or consistently with God. You want to become like Jesus? The only way to do that is to be with Jesus. You want to become like God? The only way to do that is to walk with him and to be with him. Faithfully, consistently, that word can mean. Faithfully and consistently walk with me if you're going to become like God. And and so we're reminded, ultimate maturity is about love. That's the marker. How do we grow in that love? By walking with God, by spending time and being with him in relationship. Final truth, God is El Shaddai. Back to verse 1 again, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. The Hebrew name here is El Shaddai. It is a name that God is going to use many times for himself throughout the Old Testament, but this is where it's introduced in the Bible. This is the first time he uses it. In this conversation with Abraham, he says, I want you to understand I am El Shaddai. What does that mean? It means the one who has all power and all authority. The one who has all power and all authority. The one who can take a man and a woman well past their childbearing years and produce a child because he promised that it would happen. He is El Shaddai, the God of all might, the God of all power. He's the God who can do the impossible. What are you up against right now in life that seems impossible? When God expresses a desire for something... He has all power and all might to carry it out in our lives. He said, I'm going to give you a child. He says, I'm going to bring all of the power and might of El Shaddai in order to carry that out. What is it in your life where you know God wants this? Oh man, but I I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the strength to carry that out. Is there a temptation in your life? You've lost many times. I just don't know if I'm ever going to have victory in this area. But you know that God has said in places like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation that has to overcome you. I can't do it in my own strength, but who can? El Shaddai. Right? If I lean upon the God of all might, the God of all power, uh, maybe my heart is hurt and damaged and I say, am, am I ever gonna have a soft heart again? Is there ever gonna be healing here? Who, who can do it? El Shaddai, the God of all power, the God of all might. Maybe there's a relationship that seems broken. And I say, God, I don't see how I can ever possibly forgive them for what they have done. No, you can't. But who can? El Shaddai at work in and through you, the God of all power and the God of all might can bring about that forgiveness and that healing that is needed. What is it that you look at in your life that seems impossible? You know God wants it. It seems impossible by your own strength and your own power. If God has promised it, he's got the power and strength to fulfill it. And that is precisely what he does For Abraham and Sarah, no longer Abram and Sarai, now reminded, I will come through. You will be the parents of a multitude. El Shaddai can do it. When we come before this table, week in and week out, we celebrate El Shaddai, the God of all power and all might who enacted his salvation in our lives. I was lost, I was hopeless. I had no way to get into relationship with God on my own. It was beyond any hope that I could see. And yet, through what he did in the work of Jesus Christ, El Shaddai worked with power and might that are miraculous in order to bring us into his family and to make us a part of his kingdom. We celebrate that at this table. As we take the bread that represents Jesus' body, and the cup that represents his shed blood, we are celebrating the power and might of El Shaddai to bring salvation into our lives. Seemed so hopeless. Seemed beyond anyone's ability, but it's never beyond the ability of the God of all might and the God of all power. Let me pray for us. And and when I'm done praying, you guys, there'll be a little music and we're going to sing a song and worship God in song. Whenever you're ready, you can make your way to the four tables in the corners and then bring those elements back to your seats and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements. Father, we are so thankful. You are El Shaddai, the God of all might, the God of all power, the God of all authority. And we are thankful that when you make a promise, you can fulfill it. We know you will. We know that the things you want, you have the power and supply in order to bring them about. And we trust in you for all of the promises that are rightfully ours. In Jesus' name, amen.